And this is Truth From The Heart with Travis Sullivan. So glad that you've tuned in once again today. And this is part five of the episode, Worship and the Church. And I may need a couple more episodes to get this one wrapped up. And so I really do appreciate your indulgence as I talk about a very important topic. Before I get started today, I want to once again remind you that you can listen to the podcast on various platforms. You can listen at Amazon Music. You can listen on Spotify, Google Podcast, and of course, the podcast website, rss.com forward slash podcast forward slash truth from the heart. And you can also email the podcast truth from the heart podcast at gmail.com. So let's go ahead and get started with today's episode, worship and the church. And in the first four parts of this episode, I played you an interview between Justin Peters and radio host Todd Friel. And they were talking about different churches that put out music and how these are false churches and how their music is not rooted in theology. And the churches that they talked about were Bethel and Hillsong. And I know I kept looping in Elevation as well because I think they fit into that group. And this is a very important topic. We need to be mindful of the songs that we are singing in church on Sunday. And so that is why I wanted to really talk about this topic. And God put it on my heart. And I wanted to talk about it with you once again today. Now, maybe you're kind of like me and you do a little bit better by being a, you're a visual learner. Maybe you do better by reading something. So I, of course, had that interview for you to listen to, and I put the link to the YouTube video, but I also found a blog that talks a lot about this topic as well. And it's a blog by Michelle Leslie, and she has done a blog on several things in the church. And I don't think her blog is really widespread read, but again, a lot of the points that she has made I pretty much wholeheartedly agree with. And she makes some good points in her blog. Some are the same as the video. And here are some of the points that she made that I want to go over. Of course, I'm not going to read the whole blog to you, but I will put the link to the blog in the description of this episode. So when talking about worship pastors and the need for pastors to discern what songs they choose to sing, here is what Michelle Leslie said in her blog. It's imperative for churches to be discerning about the Christian contemporary music they use in worship. If Jane, church member, hears a Christian contemporary song in church and likes it, she's likely to Google the song, probably right there in church. I've done it. Find out who sings it and begin following the artist. Worship pastors who use CCM have a responsibility to vet the artist who perform the songs they select for the worship service to make sure they're not sending Jane into the arms of a heretic. Additionally, music costs money and you don't want your church's offerings supporting false doctrine. And both of those points, again, I wholeheartedly agree with. And Justin Peters talked about those points as well in that interview. So if you missed the interview, you're not sure what I'm talking about, go and look at parts 7A through 7D, and you can hear the interview there in its entirety. And so, you know, she mentions that it is important that we are not leading people into the arms of heretics. And Justin Peters talked in his interview about some of the crazy beliefs that some of the 
false churches like Bethel and Hillsong have. Beliefs like grave soaking, they believe that Jesus was just a man in a right relationship with God, that he was not God incarnate, and that he was not fully God and fully man. And this is, here's my question. Why, as a worship pastor or a senior pastor, would you want to give your stamp of approval to these artists who are putting out these songs? And Justin Peters made a pretty strong point at the end, I believe, of his interview. And he was like, one of the worst things that we can do as Christians is lead someone down the primrose path, lead them down a path of destruction or lead them down a way that's going to send them astray. And that's exactly what we're doing when we are leading them to these false churches that are putting out these songs. We're leading them into the arms of heretics. And so we have got to be very careful with doing that. Now I say we, but I'm not a worship pastor and I'm not a senior pastor. But I think you understand the point that I'm trying to make is we've got to be careful where we are leading people to. And I will say this probably until the day that I die. And that is I always lead people to the only one true source of truth, and that is the Bible itself. I don't lead them. I'm probably going to do an episode down the road on this series that's out called The Chosen. I'm not a fan of it, and I've got several reasons why, and I will tell you probably in that episode what those reasons, well, I know I'll tell you what those reasons are, but I don't think it's a good thing to take God's word and kind of put an entertainment twist on it, you know. But I always say you've got to go to the true source of the truth, and that is the Bible itself. So back to the point of if you are singing these songs in your churches, and again, I'm talking to worship pastors and to senior pastors, Justin Peters talked about this. If churchgoers hear these songs being sung in worship, then they are assuming that you as a pastor or you as a church endorse these artists. And I know that there are some pastors that would never let Bill Johnson, Stephen Furtick, and I can't remember who the pastor is of the third one. They would not even let them come and speak in their pulpit because their beliefs are way off bounds. So then why are you singing songs from their false churches in your worship service? That's the question that I have. I brought this up to the pastor of the church that I go to on Sundays He brought this up. The blog addresses this argument or the rebuttal, I guess, to this argument. And he was like, if we didn't sing these songs, there wouldn't be a whole lot of songs left to sing. Okay, I have a Baptist hymnal at home. And I'm Baptist if you didn't figure that out. But anyway, I'm Baptist and we used to have Baptist hymnals in the pews on Sunday, but we don't anymore. And I happened to look at it the other day and I think there's over 600 hymns in the hymnal. Now, you say, okay, let's just say you even sing two or three of those a Sunday. That's still going to leave you with plenty. You will not sing the same one in the same year because, of course, there's only 52 Sundays a year. So this argument of, well, if we don't sing these Christian contemporary songs, there won't be any songs left to sing. Well, there may not be a lot of Christian contemporary songs left to sing. I'll give you that. But as far as the argument of, well, we wouldn't have a lot to sing on Sunday, sing hymns. I've said this before as well. Hymns, I believe, are the safest way to go. Here's what the blog says in rebuttal to that argument. Now, every time I address the subject of being discerning about worship music and that churches should not worship music or should not use worship music from heretical sources such as Bethel, 
Hillsong and Elevation, someone who's defending using the music from these heretical sources will say, well, and then insert the name of the hymn writer, wrote lots of perfectly biblical hymns, but he had some theological problems too, and you're not recommending we get rid of all of his hymns. Now, I'll give you a hymn writer, John Newton, and John Newton wrote perhaps one of the most famous hymns, I would argue, in the world, and that is he wrote Amazing Grace. And John Newton used to be the captain of a slave ship, and many believe that the tune of Amazing Grace is sort of set to a West African sorrow chant that he heard. He heard this chant. He heard the slaves on the ship singing a song and and he, he penned Amazing Grace to that tune. But you know what? God came into his life. He changed his heart and he changed him. So some would argue, well, we can't sing his song because he used to be a slave owner or he used to be the captain of a slave ship. One, you can't follow John Newton on social media. He's dead. He's been dead for a long time. And Amazing Grace is an amazing hymn. So there are a lot of these Christian contemporary artists, as I've said, that you can follow and you can find out what they believe. And it's probably, it may or may not be in line with what you believe. And so again, I have a problem supporting somebody who doesn't have the same set of beliefs that I do. Now, I realize we're not going to all believe exactly the same thing. But for the most part, there are some basic things that I think that we all need to be in agreement on. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, Bethel and Hillsong believe that Jesus was just a man in a right relationship with God. And of course, that is completely false. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And we as humans have trouble wrapping our minds around that. So maybe that's why they say that he was just a man in a right relationship with God. But Either way, if you can't get the basic belief down of who Jesus was and you can't come to an agreement on that, then I don't know that we should be singing songs or I'm not going to be supporting you. So the blog goes on to say, first of all, maybe we should more closely examine the theology of some of our most prolific hymnists and stop using their music because of what they believed. Quick, off the top of your head, name three that we should start with. And that's what separates the errant hymnists from Bethel, Hillsong, and then et cetera, et cetera. Most Christians, even those who prefer hymns over Christian contemporary music, could probably not name three people who wrote hymns, let alone tell you anything about their theology. But if you ask the average Christian to name the top three Christian music artists, they could probably rattle them off in a second. And the article goes on to say, most hymn writers have been dead for hundreds of years, like I just mentioned with John Newton. They don't have Facebook pages you can follow. Nobody's playing their stuff on Caleb. They're not on tour to promote their latest album. They don't have thousands of followers worldwide. Their music is in the public domain. So your church is not financially supporting their work. And if you wanted to follow their errant theology, you'd have to hit the books and research and study it. Contemporary music theology is one click away on YouTube, social media. It's live streamed at concerts and conferences and on their websites. And nobody is following dead hymnists, false doctrine, but hordes are following Christian contemporary music's heresy. Now, I'm not saying that all Christian musicians are practicing heresy, but I think there are more out there than you think. And again, I think she's right on point here. There are many hymn writers with bad theology. Of course, I mean, no one's perfect. No one is going to have 
perfect theology. The only person who had perfect theology, of course, was Jesus Christ. So we can sit here and we can nitpick different things about, as I just mentioned, John Newton was the captain of a slave ship. So you could say, well, he was a captain of a slave ship, so I don't want to support him. Okay, but he's not on social media. He's not still promoting slavery. And as I said, his heart was changed. God came in and he changed his heart and he wrote one of the most beautiful hymns, I believe, that is out there. Someone who's dead can't keep changing their minds or tell you what they believe. It absolutely matters that we are supporting artists that are promoting sound theology. You wouldn't want to follow a pastor who's just telling you their opinion, would you? And hopefully that's not what you're doing. I hope that you go to a church and that you are in a group of Bible-believing brothers and sisters in Christ. I mentioned this earlier as well. Always go to the source of the truth, which is the Bible. If your church and if your pastor is not preaching straight from the Word of God, then you need to find yourself a different church. Because most of probably what you're hearing is his opinion or her opinion. It's not what the Bible says. And that is where things have gotten, I think, out of control in Christianity. We get so many people's opinion. Well, this is what I believe. Well, not to be rude, I don't care what you believe. I care what God's word says. What God's word says, that's the way that it is. That's the truth. That's the end of the argument. It's over at that point. That's why I said I think it is important. Some people would say, well, what difference does it make supporting Bethel and Hillsong and all these other places? Again, just look at their beliefs. They're not biblically based. So why would you want to support a movement or a group of people that are not basing their beliefs off the word of God? I couldn't consciously do that. I could in good faith sit there and support them. So that is why I think it's important. I've got a few minutes left before I close out today's episode, and I want to just give you a modern example of being able to do research and find out the beliefs of some of these Christian contemporary music artists. And here's an example of a music artist and one of the founders of the popular Christian contemporary music group, Maverick City Music, Jonathan J. And when he was faced with the questions, are your songs theologically accurate? Let's see how he answered. I'm excited for what God is doing. I do want to have one more thing. We only have a couple minutes left. Um, But, um, you know, there's a whole thing going on, too, with uh, worship music and making sure that it's theologically sound and not just an emotional reaction. Um, how How does tribal music and worship, how do you guys kind of make sure that what you are saying is theologically sound as well as, you know, moving? Yeah. I say the emphasis and sort of the uh, or sort of the like a lot of these songs are birthed out of community and birthed out of relationship. Um, And so songs that we feel like we've we've sung or that you've heard us sing, I think a lot of times have been birthed out of maybe just a need in the moment. Um, Even going back for us, even song Tony Koroka, Good Father songs about someone in a community needing to know that the Lord was a really good father. Um, And so I think for us, when it comes to how we're writing the songs, how we're curating, crafting the songs, we love to start there with the inspiration of, 
Lord, what are you breathing on? What do, what are people that we're in community with? What are our relationships telling us we need to be singing about? What's healthy for us to sing about? And I think, and then from there, I think we craft with a chorus of many voices um, around um, around what's theologically sound or what the church should be singing. Um, and 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 really, the way that we write a lot of these songs is is sort of is it's kind of like you know you've heard the you've heard the term it takes a village uh, mm -hmm. to raise them. It, it kind of takes a village to bring a song through. Um, even right before this meeting, we were doing another A&R meeting for another record that we're planning. It's like all the voices, all the input, all of the, mm -hmm. just yeah. sort of make sure that. So, I mean, we have, we have that sort of process from beginning to the end. So. Okay. So here's the problem I have with that. Did you notice what his answer was? His answer was we kind of use the culture and the situations that we're in and we kind of base the song off that. Instead of we go to God's word, we read God's word and that's where we base our songs off of. See, I think that's the difference between a lot of Christian contemporary songs. They're trying to be relevant. They're trying to sort of fit in the world around them. Whereas a lot of hymns I think are biblically based. I know there's some hymns that are literally almost taken straight from a Psalm because Psalm of course, are it's the book of songs and that's inspiration. That's the source of you're looking at the Bible, not we're looking at the culture around us and asking God, you know, help this song to fit in or help this touch, you know, this life. And I don't know. I just have a problem with that answer that he just gave, because I think it should be we go to God's word and we ask him, put something on my heart. What do you want us to sing about? What do you want us to write about? And in some ways, I don't feel like that was the answer that he gave. Maybe that's what he was trying to get to, but that's what I'm talking about, though, as far as Christian contemporary artists and what they believe and where their inspiration comes from. He also mentions in the interview that members of the group have been inspired from Jesus culture and guess where else? From Bethel. So that right there, you're getting your influence from false churches, false movements, places where their theology is all messed up because you're main source of inspiration is not straight from the source of truth, which is the word of God. I will post the link to that interview with Jonathan Jay in the description as well. We're getting close to the 20 minute mark. So let me close this out with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for giving me this platform where I can just share my heart and talk about what you've put on my heart to say. I pray that there would be many pastors and worship pastors that are listening to the parts of this episode and that maybe they are starting to feel that convicting power of the Holy Spirit and that they would stop singing these songs in their churches and supporting these false churches because it is so important that we worship the one true God and that we are singing songs that are biblically based. Lord, I just thank you so much for your grace and mercy that you extend us each day. I pray for those who have fallen into these false movements, that you would lead them out of that, lead them back to the truth of your word and get them back on the right path. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I've still got a couple more parts of this episode. Again, I really do appreciate your indulgence as I continue to talk about worship and the church. And before I close out this episode today, I also want to give this special thanks to everyone out there. Some of you may or may not know, but my grandmother passed away earlier this month on the 7th, and just the amount of 
the overwhelming support and condolences that people gave to me and to my family. It was just so much appreciated. It's such a blessing to know that we have so many friends and family that care about us. And so thank you so much for the condolences. Yes, it is hard. She was 92 years old. She was ready to go home, but I was one of her caretakers. And I think that makes it harder when when they live with you, when you take care of them each day, and then they're not here. But again, I know she's in a better place. I know where she is, and I know that I'll see her again one day. So we really do appreciate. Thank you for all the prayers that you gave to my family. I hope you will continue to tune in to these episodes. This is Truth From The Heart with Travis Sullivan. Remember, Jesus is King, Maranatha, and God bless until next time.